Greetings, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are. A really quick announcement. I took a poll over on my community tab on the Back to Ashes page. I asked if anyone would be interested in long-form stories. A lot of you have said that you fall asleep to my voice rather than the rain ambience. So, I wanted to ask you because not a lot of people check out the community tab. I got really positive responses and a lot of yeses to the long-form videos. What that means is the rain ambience will still play in the background, but I will be telling long-form stories. They're not true stories, just horrific or creepy stories in which they're very long form, so it'll be a lot more of me talking to help you sleep. So please comment down below and let me know what you think. If a lot of you say yes, then I will start producing more long form videos. That way I can talk more without the breaks in between each short true story. If you would like to become part of the coffee crew down in the description box below, you can buy me a coffee. I would truly appreciate it as it helps me and the channel. Now it is time to go back to ashes for when we arise from the ashes, we are bigger, brighter, stronger, and happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax, kick back, grab a snack, or tuck in and get warm and get ready for this dose of vocal melatonin entitled true missing 411 stories. The Disappearance of Devin Williams Devin Williams lived in Emporia, Kansas, with his wife and three children. Everyone who knew him said that he was a loving father and a hardworking man, and by all accounts, he seemed to be happy with his life. He and his wife, Mary Lou, had recently purchased a new house, and Mary Lou would later say, that they were at the happiest point in their marriage. There is, therefore, no real explanation for why he would suddenly leave it all behind. This would happen on May 28, 1995. The last scenario in which he would ever be seen alive was bizarre to say the least. He kissed his family goodbye and then took a truck ride into the unknown. Devin was 29 years old when he vanished. The morning of May 23rd was a morning just like any other. He said goodbye to his adoring family before setting off in his 18-wheeler truck out towards California to deliver a shipment and pick up a stock of lettuce for the return journey. It was a route he had taken many times before and all indications pointed to this just being another drab drive across the country. However, such assumptions could not be farther from the truth. He would actually reach his California destination and was able to check in with his boss, one Tom Wilson, who would later tell investigators that he couldn't see anything out of the ordinary that would have made him suspect what was coming next? Things first took a turn for the weird on the main freeway in the Buck Springs area off Interstate 40 in Chattahoochee National Forest, Georgia, when he suddenly took a turn down an obscure forest road and started inexplicably driving up it into the thick woodland. 
This was not a recognizable shortcut route to anywhere, and it would only lead him deeper into the forest. Wherever he was going at this point, he certainly wasn't going down his ascribed route. On Saturday evening, May 27th, he telephoned the company headquarters one final time. Complaining that he was unable to sleep, but saying that he was determined to get back on the road. The next morning would be far stranger than anything the person manning the company phone could have ever imagined. It was May 28th when he reappeared from the bizarre detour, but his reappearance would only pose more questions than his brief time off radar could have ever hoped to. Lynn Yarrington and a group of her fellow campers were enjoying a day of outdoor activities in Tonto National Forest, near to Kingman, Arizona. It was shaping up to be a nice day of rural idol, but this was all shattered when Devin's 10-ton truck came hurtling out of nowhere and smashed through the campground, sending terrified witnesses darting for cover and leading to two campers nearly being run down where they stood. Commenting on the weird trance that Devin seemed to be stuck in, one said that there was no expression on his face at all, and that he didn't even try to slow down as he barreled through the campground, ignoring the two people he nearly killed. The truck didn't stop, and sped off down the narrow campground road out of sight, disappearing into the forest once again. Later that day, Devin's bizarre rampage came to a stop that was just as baffling as his brief off-road excursion. Two hikers came upon his truck, stalled in a forest-bordered field, some ways away from where he had last been seen. Devin appeared to be dazed, confused, and barefoot. And as the hikers pondered their newfound predicament, he is alleged to have said to them, They made me do it. I'm going to jail. After they asked him why he driven the truck to that spot, Charles Hall, one of the hikers in question, felt as if they had just stumbled onto a hostage situation, a hijacking, kidnapping, or whatever, and that perhaps someone in the truck had held a gun to Devin in order to face him to do whatever it was he was now convinced he would be incarcerated for. However, Hall's suspicions of commonplace foul play had doubt cast over them when Devin made no attempt to keep them there or to ask for help, before promptly wandering off into the forest and disappearing from sight. Baffled, the hikers notified the authorities. Deputy Dean Williams arrived, already of the suspicion that there was foul play afoot at the scene based on the hikers' testimony. However, he searched the inside of the truck and found that it was clean and well looked after. There was no sign of a struggle, and nothing seemed to be missing, 
including Devin's briefcase and cargo. The truck was confirmed to have indeed been that belonging to one Devin Williams, and he was left just as boggled by the events as all the witnesses. Nobody could work out why this seemingly happy man had abandoned everything and taken a wild detour across America before abandoning his truck and wandering into the forest. The following day, Monday the 29th, two unnamed campers would come across Williams as he wandered through the woods. They said that he was seemingly in a trance and was talking to himself. They pulled over and asked if he needed help, but the bewitched trucker just said, I gotta light the grill, before taking a rock and use it to strike a $20 bill he was holding in his hand. He seemed to be trying to light a fire using the $20 bill in the rock, and the camper soon started to suspect that he was insane. However, they would have no chance to ask him further questions before he turned and suddenly threw the rock at their car, prompting them to drive away. That would be the last time anyone would see him alive. Extensive searches turned up nothing. Devin Williams remains missing to this day. Alfred Billhart's 1938. Four-year-old Alfred Billhart's was the first recorded drowning in Colorado's Rocky Mountain National Park. Though, whether Billhart's actually drowned is controversial. He was camping in the park with his family over the July 4th weekend when he disappeared near the Roaring and Fall Rivers. Billhart's had gone with his dad to bathe in the river, and from there, he decided to join two family friends at a spot about 500 feet upstream of where he and his father entered the river. When everyone returned to the camp, they realized that Billhart's was missing. A search began immediately, expanding to more than 100 civilian conservation corps members within 45 minutes, but there was barely any sign of Bill Hart's anywhere. A day after he disappeared, a couple hiking about six miles away from Bill Hart's campsite reported seeing a boy who looked like Alfred sitting in an area called the Devil's Nest. By the time authorities arrived, though, the boy was gone. The search went on for 10 days and included 150 men, plus bloodhounds. Though the size of the search party had dwindled to a dozen by the end of the eighth day, park rangers chalked his disappearance up to drowning. Catherine Van Alst, 1946. 
eight-year-old Catherine Van Alst disappeared from Devil's Den State Park near Arkansas's Ozark National Forest, where she and her family were camping. Van Alst apparently was playing with her brothers when she wandered off and got lost and couldn't find her way back. What makes her disappearance remarkable is that when she was found after six days wandering the woods, she was eerily calm. University of Arkansas student Porter Chadwick was part of the search party that found Van Alst. He told the Pittsburgh Press that when he found her, she walked stoically out of a cave and just said, Here I am. She had survived on berries and spent nights sleeping in caves. Many other hikers have gotten lost in that part of Ozarks and not been as lucky as Van Halst. Paula Weldon, 1946. There's an area in Green Mountain National Forest near Glastonsbury Mountain and Vermont's Long Trail that believers in the paranormal call Bennington Triangle. The area got this name because of a handful of mysterious disappearances which occurred between 1945 and 1950. Although... Many more have been recorded over the years. Paranormal author Joseph A. Citro coined the term because of the supposedly supernatural circumstances surrounding these vanishings. Paula Weldon was the second person to go missing in that area of Green Mountain National Forest during this period. 18-year-old Weldon was a college student who set out on the long trail in December 1946. She was dressed for walking and not a long hike, wearing jeans, a coat, and sneakers. Her attire implied that she planned to return before dark, when temperatures were supposed to dip below freezing. Walden told her roommate that she was taking a long walk and she never returned. Several people spotted her as she hitchhiked her way to the trail and walked to the trailhead. When Weldon didn't come back by dark, her roommate let the school know and the search began. Classes were suspended so students could help with the search. The process was disorganized at first, until Weldon's father called in favors from police in two surrounding states. Unfortunately, the search didn't pan out, and frustrated family and friends had their own theories about what happened to her. Did Weldon run off with a boyfriend? Was she abducted? Did she commit suicide? Or 
did she die of exposure because of her inappropriate attire? No one has discovered her body, so her disappearance remains a mystery. There's a rumor that this area of the Long Trail is home to a creature called the Bennington Monster. Could this Sasquatch-like animal have something to do with the disappearance? One positive outcome of the case was that the lack of organization in the search for Paula Weldon led to the creation of the Vermont State Police, which is responsible for all wilderness search and rescue missions in the state. Larry Jeffrey 1966. Six-year-old Larry Jeffrey disappeared near the peak of 12,000-foot Mount Charleston in Humboldt, Tyobi National Forest, just a short drive from Las Vegas. The search began immediately after the boy wandered away from his brothers, and within days, the National Guard and a team of bloodhounds had joined the search. In a TV interview, David Politis told reporter George Knapp that there were no predators afoot that day, and since the area they were in was pretty secluded, it's easy to rule out an abduction by car. This boy just walked into oblivion, Politis said. When Jeffrey disappeared, he was wearing light clothing, and authorities were doubtful that he could survive the cold temperatures at night. Searchers found and lost the trail a few times, and they discovered evidence that the boy had been eating insects and foraged berries along the way. Overall, around 1,000 people searched for 16 days but never found him. Dennis Martin, 1969. Six-year-old Dennis Martin was on a camping trip near the Tennessee-North Carolina state line with his family in the summer of 1969. It was an annual Father's Day tradition. All of the men in the Martin family headed to Smoky Mountain National Park to camp and hike. Dennis and his brothers had planned a prank on the adults. They were going to hide separately in the bush and jump out on different sides of the campsite to scare them. It was a typical joke that should have ended with some startled shouts and then a lot of laughter. The laughter ended quickly, though, when they realized that Dennis was missing. Family, park rangers, and other hikers spread out to search for Dennis almost immediately, but he was nowhere to be found. That evening, there was heavy rainfall, which is bad news when you're trying to track a missing little boy. 
The search for Martin became the largest in National Park Service history. One of the people searching was park ranger Dwight McCarter, who had successfully tracked down hundreds of missing persons, including young children. McCarter was a seasoned tracker, and he was struck by the complete lack of any sorts of tracks. Dennis seemed to have disappeared completely, leaving no trace at all. His disappearance is still a mystery. One possible lead that searchers didn't follow was a report from another family the evening that the boy went missing. The key family allegedly heard a scream and then saw a bear man with something slung over its shoulder that looked like it could have been a small child. We'll never know whether this was related to Martin's disappearance. But one thing did come out of it. The realization that having so many volunteers might have meant some vital clues got trampled on. Nowadays, searches involve less people, but they have more training. Douglas Legg, 1971. Douglas Legg and some of his family were heading out for a hike in the Andirondack Forest Preserves, Santantoni Preserve, when his uncle spotted poison ivy and told Legg to put on long pants to protect himself. The family's cabin was a short, straight shot from where they were but eight-year-old Leg never returned. Unlike a lot of the kids who have gone missing in national parks, Leg was very familiar with these woods. His family owned the cabin where they were staying and described the Leg as a mini-woodsman because they all hiked there together so often. Legg's disappearance sparked one of the southern Adirondack's largest search and rescue missions. With more than 600 people searching the woods. But, like Martin, Legg left no trail. Unlike in the Martin case, though, rescuers used dogs in their search. Some accounts describe dogs following Legg's scent over a 30-mile trail through difficult terrain. How could a young child have traveled alone for such a distance? Some searchers reported seeing bear-like tracks near the site. While black bears do drag their prey to cover, dragging someone 30 miles over difficult terrain seems unusual. The family became desperate and began suspecting each other and even their friends of abducting Leg. But the police were certain that the many woodsmen had simply gotten lost. He was never found.
John Devine, 1977. According to Peninsula Daily News, Olympic National Park in northern Washington State has a feature that's not as majestic as its mountain views. At least four hikers have mysteriously disappeared from the area in the last 25 years, one of whom was 73-year-old John Devine. In 1997, Devine planned to hike into the park from Mount Baldy. The trail is a tough 24 miles, and though Devine was elderly, he was also an experienced long-distance hiker. Devine was camping with his friend Greg Balzer. They split up on the day that Devine went missing. Balzer went off to hunt while Devine took off on a day hike. Devine never returned. The fruitless search for Devine lasted a week until a rescue helicopter crash killed three people and injured five others. By that time, weather conditions had deteriorated, making the chances of finding Devine slim. Friends and family said that Devine wouldn't want to put people in danger on his behalf, and the search was called off. The search helicopter's crash is as mysterious as Devine's disappearance. Before takeoff, the pilot used a hand signal indicating that he was going to wait five minutes for conditions to improve before attempting it. A moment later, the helicopter departed vertically without warning and crashed into the side of the mountain. David Gonzalez, 2004 At 8 a.m. on a July day in 2004, David Gonzalez asked his mother if he could have the car keys. There was a box of cookies in the car, and the nine-year-old wanted a treat. The car was only 50 yards away, and his mother watched him as he walked to the parking lot near the Big Bear Lake campsite in Northern California's San Bernardino National Forest. She turned her back for a second, and when she looked around again, Gonzalez was gone. His mother reported that she heard no sound at all when her back was turned, though she did see a beige truck speeding out of the campground around the time that her son went missing. Since there were no signs of abduction, authorities did not pursue that lead. The cookies that Gonzalez went to get were still in his family's locked van, so he never made it to the car. Rescue teams in San Bernardino County scoured the woods for Gonzalez. They found no signs of struggle or of the boy.
the search went on for nine days, but rescuers never found him alive. About a year later, Hiker stumbled upon the boy's remains about a mile from his family's campsite. Authorities initially chalked this up to a mountain lion attack, but how could a mountain lion have silently dragged a nine-year-old boy a mile without leaving any blood or signs of struggle? The autopsy determined that any marks made to the child's remains were done by scavenging animals. Prabdeep Sran, 2013. Prabdeep Sran was a 25-year-old Canadian Army reservist who disappeared from Australia's Kosciuszko National Park located in the southeastern state of New South Wales. Sron was studying abroad in Australia in May 2013 when he decided to take a 1,700-mile road trip from the Gold Coast to Melbourne. Sron rented a van, drove to the park's Charlotte Pass in the Snowy Mountains, and no one has seen him since. The search for Sron began when the rental company discovered that the van wasn't returned. Sron hadn't told anyone what route or side hikes he was planning, and that the search may have started days or even a week after he went missing, since it was the rental company that first reported the disappearance. Searchers figured out his hike plans by looking at the search history on a laptop they recovered from his van. Sron's family hired private searchers after Australian authorities called off their search after only two weeks. The investigators used tower data from Sron's phone and a trained dog to track his trail to a treacherous area called the Western Fall Wilderness. Just one day before his van was due back to the rental agency, Sron embarked on a difficult and time-consuming hike in snowy weather. Why would a trained military reservist make a choice like that? Despite a private search that went on for over a year, Saran's body has never been recovered. Jacob Gray, 2017 The mystery of what exactly happened to 22-year-old Jacob Gray will likely never be solved. The athletic young man rode his mountain bike into a rainstorm in Olympic National Park in Washington in April 2017 and was never seen alive again. His bike and gear were found on the side of a trail, but Gray was nowhere to be found. This kicked off a search 
largely championed by his father, Randy, who actually sold his house and closed his contracting business so that he could fully devote his time to searching for his son. Randy spent months doing that, all the while theorizing about what could have happened to his child. He considered hypothermia, accidental drowning, an accident, and so on. He also worried that burgeoning mental health issues had gotten the best of him. In August of the same year, he got the phone call that a group of researchers had found Jacob's remains and supplies higher on the mountain than anyone expected. The likely cause of death was hypothermia. Keen McLaughlin, 2021. A 27-year-old Irish man visiting Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming had been missing since June 2021. The last known sighting of Dublin native Keen McLaughlin pinpoints him heading in the direction of Taggart Lake. This is located on an eight-mile trail that is very difficult in nature. When he didn't show up to work, he was reported missing. He held dual U.S. and Irish citizenship. His car was found nearby and kicked off a search that formally ended two weeks later. Forty-five helicopter searches and other high-tech tools have yet to reveal any information about his whereabouts. His family and the U.S. National Park Service have since put out a poster with a photo and details, as well as the hashtag FindKeen, to keep him top of mind for visitors in the area. The disappearance is extra puzzling as his uncle described that particular trailhead as his favorite. Another hiker reported seeing McLaughlin without a backpack, so it appeared that he had just gone out for a walk. Gabby Petito, 2021 the disappearance of Gabby Petito made international headlines when her boyfriend, Brian Laundry, returned from the road trip all by himself. The couple, who posted heavily about their travels on social media, had an ambitious schedule of coast-to-coast -coast national park visits, although several fights between the pair were noticed by others including the police, along the way. Petito's family says that their last contact with the 22-year-old was at the end of August 2021. Laundry arrived back at home September 1st without Petito and refused to speak with police or her family. 
Her family reported her missing September 11th after a lengthy lack of contact. In fact, they don't believe the last text they received from Petito was actually her. Sadly, on September 19th, Petito's remains were found in Bridger Teton National Forest in Wyoming. The cause of death was determined to be strangulation. Laundry disappeared on September 17th, and on October 20th, his skeletal remains were found inside the Carlton Reserve in Sarasota, Florida. As of press time, his cause of death is still unknown. Aaron Hedges The crazy mountains of Montana have long been as a harsh, rugged range of wilderness with a sense of mystery. Aaron Joseph Hodges, 38 years old, ventured into the crazies on an elk hunt in September 2014. But he separated from his friends and wandered off trail. He told the rest of his group that he planned to head north to a camp they set up the year before. Radio silence followed, and three days later, his wife reported him missing to Sweet Grass County law enforcement. Due to the lapse of time between his vanishing and the alerting of authorities, workers rushed to find the missing hunter. Around two feet of snow began to fall, complicating the search and reducing Hedge's chance of survival. Despite the efforts of 59 searchers, 20 dog teams, and several rescue helicopters, Hedges could not be found. Only his boots, water bladder, and two attempts to start a fire were discovered. In June 2015, a Wyoming butcher walking in the woods near his daughter's ranch came upon some of Hedges' gear. His bow hunting license, clothes, and a well-weathered backpack. The following summer, Hedges' remains were discovered and identified a half a mile from where his equipment was strewn about. Although authorities have closed his case, the intrigue of his story persisted as more details were pieced together. Questions still linger around Aaron Hedges' final days in the Crazy Mountains. His remains and gear were found on a mountainside opposite of the one originally searched, around 15 miles away from the camp Hedges was heading toward. The shedding of his boots and clothes made his trek even more improbable as he traversed the difficult and snowy terrain off the main trails. Tragically, Aaron was close to safety, and within sight of the ranch, his remains were found near. Disorientation and hyperthermia may have been the cause of his behavior and death, but it is indisputable that some aspects of Aaron Hedge's disappearance are still 
hard to explain. David Blake David Blake's disappearance in Georgia's Kennesaw Mountain National Battlefield Park remains a mystery, short on both clues and answers. Covering almost 3,000 acres and featuring many miles of hiking trails, the popular park's significance is rooted in its Native American culture and Civil War history. On March 7, 2018, Blake ventured out for a hike in the park, like he had done many times before. He has not been seen since, leaving his mother with a simple, I love you, Mom. See you later. Blake never showed up to work the next day, although his phone was used to send a few messages earlier that morning. His family soon reported him missing, launching law enforcement's initial search and investigation. Blake's Nissan Sentra was found in an overflow lot near Kennesaw Mountain with his keys and some gear inside. Several search dogs also found a scent down roads along the mountain, leading to the idea that Blake didn't hike up the trails. Days of searching on the ground and in the air, however, would not turn up Blake himself. Although the official search lasted only a week, Blake's family would continue with their own search for answers. The family hired a private investigator to re-examine the case and hone in on particular clues. They realized Blake's backpack had yet to be found, raising the possibility that it was still with him. David's brother, Stuart, also started a GoFundMe page, which raised over $17,000 to help fund their continuing search. So far, there have been no definitive signs of a crime, nor was Blake involved in any unlawful activities. This information, along with a lack of high-risk behaviors in his past, leaves Blake's family hopeful that he is still alive. Drake Kramer As February 2015 rolled around, Drake Kramer had a bright future ahead. He had a job at a local hardware store, and was enrolled at the University of Texas to study geology. Although he was only 21, Kramer was an experienced hiker with a passion for the outdoors. He often posted photos from his travels on Facebook and spoke of future trips to far-flung places. However, 
Kramer's parents were surprised when their son said he made a sudden drive to Grand Canyon National Park. Although he had been there several times before, his family noted he did not usually travel alone. He stayed only one night at Bright Angel Lodge near the well-traveled South Rim area of the canyon. The next morning, a series of cryptic texts would leave his family even more puzzled. Emotional messages sent to family members on February 2nd led to concern when Kramer told his father that he needed to be back with Mother Earth and set his soul free. Worried their son may be suicidal, Kramer's parents reported him missing and tried to retrace his steps. His friends claimed that, before he left, Kramer had been living with a co-worker. The family also found out their son went to California before going to the Grand Canyon. In all, Kramer drove over 1,000 miles in a single weekend. His car would be found later, still parked at the Bright Angel Lodge. The search for Drake Kramer soon kicked off with authorities combing the rugged terrain and forests off the beaten paths. Investigating the spots he had been to in the past turned up no trace of Kramer either. Six days of exhaustive search efforts were called off, with only his car being found. Kramer's parents were unsure if their son committed suicide, though. Only days before, his father noted that Kramer was in good spirits. A letter left by their son read, I truly love and cherish every soul I have met and will meet in my lifetime. Love, Drake Lyons Kramer. He remains missing, with his family still looking for him to this day. Victor Dwight J.R. Shoemaker West Virginia is a state full of mysteries, with Victor Dwight Shoemaker's disappearance being one of many unsolved cases in the Mountain State. Victor, or J.R. as many called him, was away from home visiting his grandfather in May of 1994. The five-year-old boy roamed the familiar woods near his grandfather's trailer on this visit with his two cousins, aged eight and nine. The three boys were playing when Victor said he was hungry and headed back toward the mobile home. The cousins returned without him, sparking a search for him within an hour. The West Virginia State Police and over 340 volunteers began a five-day hunt for Victor. 
frigid, rainy weather dampen their hopes of finding him alive. Local National Guard and Army Reserve units spent five more months doing searches on the weekends. Law enforcement focused their efforts on a 10-square-kilometer area, thinking that was the furthest the young boy could go. Mountainside homes, trails, and even hundreds of dead logs were all combed for clues. Victor's cousins talked with police, but could give little insight to his fate. Officials wondered if Victor was abducted after a search dog kept its nose up to the air following a scent. Reports also came in regarding a suspicious dark truck in the area. Neither clues led to any concrete answers on what happened to Victor. No named suspects, arrests, or charges have ever been made in Victor's case. No signs of crime or family involvement have been found. Even more tragic, there has been no trace of young Victor since his disappearance on May 1, 1994. His parents believe their son may still be alive, but that his cousins may know more than they admit. They have not talked with that side of their family since Victor vanished. In that time, they have left his room largely unchanged, waiting for the day Victor may finally come home. Randy Morganson From a young age, Randy Morganson was destined to be an outdoorsman. Raised by his father in Yosemite National Park, as a child, he often helped famed photographer Ansel Adams. After joining the Peace Corps, Randy took up mountain climbing while in India. Eventually, he went to the Sierra Nevada Mountains to become a seasonal ranger. The job was rewarding, but certainly not easy or profitable. From December to October, 14 rangers were tasked with protecting 3,500 square kilometers of backcountry. Many in the ragtag group were close after serving together for years, and they noticed when a troubled Randy Morganson returned to the job in 1996. Randy's friends knew his marriage was rocky after an affair. He also seemed burnt out after 28 years of work in the backcountry. You know, after all these years of being a ranger, I wonder if it has been worth it he told one colleague. His low spirits didn't cause much worry until July 24th, after days of radio silence from Randy. His co-workers quickly began a week-long search, but they found no sign of him. Authorities were stuck 
with what clues he'd left behind. At Randy's remote station, a handwritten note said he'd left for a patrol. Divorce papers sat unsigned on his desk, as if he hoped to make amends with his wife. The revolver he rarely carried was still there as well. Randy's car was parked in the spot where he'd left it months before. His wife in Arizona also received a letter from him, postmarked two days after he disappeared. It is unclear how Randy sent the letter if he was in the back country with no postal service. In 2001, five years after he vanished, his remains were found in a gorge under a waterfall. Atop the waterfall was Randy's radio, which he had turned on. For many, these discoveries raised even more questions. Eric Blem wrote The Last Season, which chronicles Randy's last season in the Sierras. He wonders if, to right some of his wrongs, Randy made his death appear accidental so that his wife would get a $100,000 government benefit. Officials maintain that the ranger was injured and fell into the ravine, being hidden by the terrain and the elements for years. It is likely that, with the poor state of Randy's remains, we may never know the full story of his final patrol. Laura Bradbury For Mike and Patty Bradbury, Joshua Tree National Park has a haven where they could get away from the rest of the world. On October 18, 1984, as they set up their camp, their three children, Travis, Lauren, and Emily, played close by. Park rangers, local sheriffs, and volunteers would soon devote countless hours to tracking down the missing three-year-old. Though her family would get some answers over time, the puzzle of what happened to Laura is far from solved. Police led a three-day search for Laura before coming to the conclusion that she had been kidnapped from the area. Dog teams followed her scent and tracks to a road nearby, and reports would come in of a suspicious man in a blue van. Little else would turn up in the hunt for Laura, despite the efforts of her family and law enforcement. Skull fragments found in 1986, one mile from the Indian Cove campsite, proved to be Laura's after a number of DNA tests. Mike believes the skull was brought back to the area, since it was searched two years earlier. Over the years, Mike took notice of the strange handling of his daughter's disappearance by some groups and agencies. He wonders why it took a few days before police reported Laura kidnapped. 
three people came forward with details on Laura's abductors in 1985. All three were kidnapped and killed months later. Two of them were found buried near a green sweatshirt just like Laura's. Police discounted their claims and don't believe the clothing belonged to Laura. Although, her father disagrees. He also does not understand how, if the bones found in 1986 were Laura's, the San Bernardino coroner could not release a death certificate, even in 2010. Mike has held the efforts by many to find Laura, but has often doubted local law enforcement and their findings. The toll of her disappearance lingered as time moved on for the Bradburys. Many worried for Travis and Emily, as both struggled growing up in the shadow of their missing sister. Patty would spend years writing letters to her missing daughter, before passing away in 2001. Mike, in 2010, wrote a book describing his own hunt for answers in Laura's case. 34 years after Laura vanished, her abduction is still unsolved, and her family still longs for closure. Matthew Green As California's Mammoth Lakes area got its first snowfall in October 2013, hope began to fade in the search for Matthew Green. The 39-year-old teacher had vanished three months earlier while climbing and visiting friends in the region. Taking only a day's worth of gear with him, he left everything else behind. Years have passed since Matthew's disappearance, and with no trace of him, it is as if he walked off the face of the earth. Matthew Green always needed adventure to get away from the routines of life. He found his escape in the Boy Scouts, then the Peace Corps, and later on, in life through road trips. He planned to spend a few weeks in the summer of 2013 with his friends John and Jill Greco camping and climbing near Mammoth Lakes. Matthew hoped to move on to Colorado with the Grecos, but he was delayed when his car needed some repairs. On July 16th, after running a few errands, he contacted his parents and friends for the last time. They did not know what his plans were, but concerns grew as time passed without word from Matthew. A campground manager called the police to inspect Matthew's camp, which was still orderly. Although his car was now fixed, he never picked it up. These findings led Matthew's loved ones to file a missing persons report 13 days after they'd last heard from him. Finding Matthew was difficult from the start. His phone 
now turned off or dead, could not be tracked. Without a car, he could have walked, hitchhiked, or taken a shuttle to a nearby trail. If he got a ride with someone, he could be anywhere. However, Matthew had a habit of adding pages torn from guidebooks to his own notes before climbing. The missing pages pointed to Mount Ritter, a peak in a jagged group of mountains known as the Minarets. A formal search could not be launched without more information, but teams were still sent to the area. The 231,533 acres of wilderness proved too vast to yield any answers. In 2014, others who had camped near Matthew said they ran into him before he went missing, but they did not know where he was headed. No evidence in his case suggests suicide, foul play, or an animal attack either. Although Matthew most likely had an accident while climbing the minarets, he has yet to be found almost five years later. The Matthias Group On the night of February 24, 1978, after UC Davis ended their game with Chico State, five young men piled into a car and headed home. They had a 50-mile drive back to Yuba City, California. They ended up on a desolate mountain road far off their route to the Plumas National Forest. When the men did not return home, their parents knew something was wrong. The media would call them the Yuba City Boys, but they were not really boys. They ranged in age from 24 to 32, and they all lived structured lives with their families. Bill Sterling, Jack Madruga, and Ted Wire were deemed to be slow learners. Jack Hewitt was more mentally handicapped than the others. Gary Mathias, while in the Army, reportedly struggled with drugs and was treated for schizophrenia. They were, according to one mother, just nice, friendly boys who went to games together and went home. Their car was found four days later, miles up the bumpy mountain road, without any mudstains, dents, or damage. Punishing snowfall hindered the search for the men, and nothing was found of them until June 1978. Wire was discovered in an abandoned trailer 19 miles away, shoeless and wrapped in eight sheets. It was determined that he'd lost almost half his body weight over eight to 13 weeks before succumbing to hunger and the elements. 
Sterling, Madruga, and Hewitt's remains were soon found near the trailer. Gary Mathias, to this day, is still missing, with only his shoes left behind in the trailer. Some items found in the search, such as a gold watch and a lighter, did not belong to any of the men. None of the men were familiar with the road or area, and it is unclear why they were there to begin with. The car, which still ran and had fuel, was inexplicably deserted by the group, too. Somehow, they walked miles up the snowy road in the dark, wearing only their light clothes. They never built a fire for warmth, even though they had matches, books, and wood furniture to use and burn. They never used a propane tank outside, and they ate only a portion of the trailer's stored food. Authorities doubt there was foul play, but struggle to explain the young men's actions. If they were afraid or running from something, no one knows what it could be. And that, dear listeners, is the end of these true Missing 411 stories. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you kindly. If you are awake and listening, I hope you have enjoyed this collection. Until next time, I'll read to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good night.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.